and welcome to How Do You Drew? This is a Drew Barrymore podcast brought to you by thedrewzium.com. I'm Ashley. And I'm Anne. Hello, hello. And hello. <laughs> episode 11, my lucky number. All right. <laughs> and a uh, good episode. I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah. And we kind of we kind of purposefully put this one in October. Um, and we'll explain why when we get to the episode topic. But yeah, happy almost Halloween. Yeah. Drubies and, and all. Yeah. Even non-Drubies who wander here somehow. <laughs> welcome. It's the how do you Drubies. Yeah. We're happy to have you. <laughs> I have one eh, oopsie daisy-ish. Just kind of hit me after our Scream episode landed, debuted, whatever episodes do. <laughs> it did all those things. <laughs> I kind of just took this knowledge for granted and realized I probably should have included this in my reporting. Drew's scene, the five days she shot, that was the very first things that were ever shot in Scream. So that's like the Mm -hmm. very beginning. And then when she was done, that was it. And then the rest of the movie filmed. So like she was only there for that tiny window. You know, she didn't film alongside other cast members and then she left and filmed best men so just thought like uh, I probably should have said the timeline of you know the rest of the movie but I forgot to yep. that so there it is <laughs> and I think you it's like you kind of insinuated oh yes it was filmed in order and Drew's scene was this many days but then you just didn't say that last thing which was then she left. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then the, mo- the rest of the movie really started. <laughs> yes. And you want to get it right, especially yeah. for Scream. So. I'm, I'm an evil person that way. Because <laughs> you are you. That's yeah, why. Yeah, because I am me. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So this is like not a follow-up. This is totally miscellaneous. But do you remember I texted you like a week ago and I said, oh, I've just found the most random thing. Remind me to tell you about an old fan site. And then... Like we got so busy working on our episode. I never told you the story. Okay. I okay. don't even really remember this prompt, but let's <laughs> oh, okay. So when I was doing my research, um, that insider magazine from winter 1996, it had this little like sidebar of Drew fan sites and the URLs. Okay. 96. Like that's wild, right? Websites. That's a trip. I feel like I remember a little sidebar like that in a magazine. So I wonder if I'm picturing that one. I would I bet not have guessed it was 96. I know. So I was like, oh, it'd be so funny if any of these were archived on the Wayback Machine, right? Okay. Because they have the full URLs. And of course, they all have like little tildes and numbers <laughs> and slash, slash, slash. Like, you know, <laughs> it's never like just a domain name. <laughs> so most of them I struck out and nothing worked but this one that was called Drew is love and it was by this girl named Melinda and I do remember like knowing that name back in the day I remember the Drew is love like watermark okay yeah yeah exactly it's like super kind of like geocities looking you know it's I mean it's 96 like I can't even believe people were building websites in 96. Honestly. Yeah, web, web, web 1.0. Right. It's like literally like a page that you just scroll. It's just like text, text, text on like a purple background, you it, know. Simple HTML. Very. 
there's like three sections to the site and one of them was like drew fans so i was like oh that'd be fun to click and see if there's anybody that we remember you know or any of our drewby pals okay so i like scan through it and it's like names and then you click on the name and it opens a picture (laughs) okay you know you can imagine yeah and i don't recognize any of our friends like which is wild, like the whole crop of Drewbies, like pre us by a couple of years, like where did they all go? You know, I would love Interesting. if any of those people are out there, I would love to hear from you. So I'm going down the list and I see <laughs> the name Kelly Oxford. You know who that is, right? She's like um... friend, friends with Busy Phillips and she's like got a big like, oh, yes. And I was like, could it be? I click on the picture. Yep. And it is? <laughs> it's like one of her modeling pictures. Oh my God. I know. And it says like a Drew fan on the phone. <laughs> Isn't that random? That's so great. I know. I feel like should we like DM her and be like, did you know that <laughs> you can still find Yes. <laughs> anyway, I just like cracked up at the randomness of that. <laughs> That's um, so great. There's like a really small little photo gallery. There's the Drew fan page. And then there's a guest book because every website back then had a guest book. <laughs> oh, of course. You wouldn't have had a message board. But right. You could just like go and just like leave a like a comment. <laughs> yeah, basically. I was here basically. Yeah. So it was crazy because it's like people were saying like, oh, she's going to be on Bill Nye the Science Guy this week. Or did you see she's oh. on the cover of Harper's Bazaar, weirdly enough. And it was just like, I felt like how, I can't believe, like that feels so vintage. It's crazy that there were people. But also it's like looking there for information. Yeah. Like. I know. And like. Putting information there, but 96. Yeah. Oh, was was the version that you were looking at saved in the Wayback Machine from 1996? Yeah. Whoa. I know. So anyway, I just thought it was really fun to see people like live reporting on things that like were before our time you know and uh, there was even like this very it felt legit I'm gonna say it was legit like a long story from somebody who had gone to the country school with her and like quote unquote dated her for like a minute and it was very interesting yeah so anyway I just went on this fun little like trip through time and I thought it'd be fun to share with you (laughs) cool do you have any screenshots that you might be able to share or I guess I can look on the way back machine you're not going to want to type in that url (laughs) (laughs) do you want to put the link in the episode I'll figure it out I'll get some stuff together so that when we post this okay it'll be available because it's pretty fun (laughs) I mean something about seeing old retro websites is just always enjoyable (sighs) That's so cool. I wish everything was in the Wayback Machine. I'm not really sure why everything's not, but like I'm shocked that something from then that was a GeoCities website is up. It wasn't even actually GeoCities. I think she was oh, like hosting it through her like college. Oh, <laughs> it was amazing. And like, That's so cool. she had all these mentions in magazines and I was like, oh my God, like this basic ass... <laughs> nothing website got a ton of press because what else was there right yeah but also like melinda are you out there (laughs) i know i thought about that too man if anyone knows melinda send her our way please would love to pick her brain (laughs) anyway all right moving along hey we got some really nice mail 
<laughs> You've got mail. So Ryan on Instagram at RyanPJ87 um, said, I never listened to podcasts, but this one was a real treat. There were some really interesting takes on the timing of things. And there were a few moments where I was even shocked to find out little details I'd never heard. So they're referring to the Scream episode, which was episode 10, came out this week as we're filming this. Um, so thanks, Ryan. Yeah, thank you. I thought that was a really, a really cool compliment to hear he's not like a podcast person, but enjoyed it. So yeah, really appreciated that. And then oh, thank um, you. my pal Alex, who is at Scream Style Sleuth, who provided all the great details about Casey's costume. He sent us a message. Love, love, loved this episode. You guys are incredible. Loved how thorough and detailed this episode was. As a big fan as I am of the movie, even I learned new things while listening to it. And thanks for the shout out. So Yay. Cool. <laughs> hey, thanks for the comments. Yeah. We, it's really encouraging. We got a lot of really nice feedback. I mean, I promoted that one like personally, which I don't normally do because I'm like, I'm kind of like, I don't really want to bug people who don't care about Drew and be like, listen to my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I have so many scream related friends that maybe like wouldn't have known about it that I felt like I'll just put it out here personally. And yeah, awesome. lots of nice comments and feedback from people on that. Yay. And we are only little over well I guess two days into the episode coming out so hopefully a lot more people hear it you worked hard on it (laughs) oh thank you and a lot of people (laughs) looked at the episode page so that made me really happy (gasps) yay the hard work pays off I know finally (laughs) (laughs) all right uh let's get into and what's new with Drew all right so Drew actually posted a new blog post on her website. It had been a little while since yeah. she posted something. Sorry, not on her website, on drewbarrymoreblog.com. Her blog uh, website. Which we haven't mentioned before. No, because, um, gosh, I think she wrote in it maybe at the beginning of the year. And then other than that, it's been a long time. I do really love that she does it, though. Like whenever she posts something and then like posts about it on Instagram, I'm always like, for a minute, I'm like, wait. She yeah. has a blog. Like <laughs> totally. A and then I get really excited to go check it out. And yeah. So this was a neat one. And um, you had something that you want that you pulled out about it that you kind of wanted to discuss a little bit, right? Well, first of all, so the reason that she wrote this post, it's annoying. Like on her own behalf, I feel annoyed. We didn't even report on this. Like it was one of the first weeks we recorded. There's like 5,000 stupid headlines about her making a big deal you know of course that's not true where I think on Drew's news on the show she like said Andrew Garfield for a role for a movie like abstained from sex for six months and she said something like big deal I do that all the time or something and that was it like it was like a nothing comment but (laughs) you can imagine what the stupid media did with that right yeah just like she had to go to the hospital when she saw Halloween exactly exactly (laughs) By the way, any media who just heard that, that is not a true thing. So don't that report it. That is a joke. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, like that week when it was just all over the place, I kind of made the decision like, this is so stupid. I don't even want to like acknowledge it. Like I don't even want to yeah. give this energy. So we didn't even talk about it. But poor Drew, it's obviously been bothering her. So she felt the need to sort of write this sort of rhetorical response to it. Yeah. 
it felt very personal. Yes, exactly. It what felt I was like she, 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 it seemed like she really felt like kind of like what you're saying, like it was bugging her, where she's like, I need to like clear the air. Yeah. And like, like people need to, like, she, I think she says a couple of times, like, she's always been honest and she just wants to be honest. And- right. <laughs> it's kind of funny that like the whole sort of thing is basically her, her having to be like, I don't hate sex. And like, you know, 20 years ago, or maybe even more I feel like that was like all her image was was like sex wild so that's kind of like what I was gonna say is I feel like she spent a big portion of her life being like hyper sexualized Mm -hmm. and I feel like this was kind of her response to be like okay I know maybe there's a chance that people out there associate me with a certain like wild child part of my life where I might have been flashing David Letterman I might have been you know like (laughs) I was on Playboy like like people might have these associations with her that she like she's a sexy human being you know so like I'm sure that she's like okay I'm just in touch with a different part of myself and it was really beautiful actually the way that she there was a quote in the blog that said something like sex is not love it's the expression Mm. of love yeah is that what the quote was yeah that sounds correct and then she was like yeah like I don't know it was it was wonderful that because it seemed like there was kind of a revelation in there a bit of her to be like well that's because it's not like the thing that you need to feel love like right and she definitely like alludes to the fact that she never really felt that way when she was younger and I mean I was a little like ooh, she's like really kind of mentioning I mean I'll just read this I don't want to put words Mm -hmm. in her mouth she said I did not have role model parents and I engaged with people in grown ways since a tender age. And then she Mm -hmm. also said, I wish I had been taught by my mother or my father or my friends that there is age appropriateness business. And I think this is a very personal thing. She clearly like doesn't have regrets. Like she's like, this is my Mm -hmm. journey, whatever. But like, I even look back on like the poison ivy phase and I'm like, she's so young and being like, photographed in certain ways like there's a lot of things that oh, like, yeah. as I've gotten to the age I am I'm like very uncomfortable with the way she was treated and exploited and I'm sure there's a lot we don't even know about and absolutely anyway I don't want to get too serious about that because that's her business and if she doesn't feel shame about it like I'm not gonna feel it for her <laughs> like, yeah and we're we're always rooting for her and happy to hurt for her to feel that being like putting her truth out there in this way was the way for her to um kind of work through this frustration about the media yeah um but clearly she has a different feeling about all of this because she's got like kids now and I'm sure she's thinking about like what it was to be at a tender age right and not have somebody be a role model like she's saying like it's just I don't know it was just really wonderful so thank you Drew for posting that and we're sorry that you had some discomfort about media as you've had your entire life god I know feeling like you have to explain yourself it's yeah and I know, you like, know, I'm sure no matter how many times she's had to do it, which is a lot, it probably never stops getting pretty annoying and frustrating. Yep. But yeah, we're lucky that she uh, shared her, you know, her, her writing with us. So, yep. And I always like how there's a cute picture with each of the blog. Yeah, posts. that is a great. Like, thing. I loved the one that was with this post. It was really it was like, really? oh, this yeah. just like really feels like Drew. Mm-hmm. Like that picture. I was just like, oh, that's her. That's our girl. <laughs> oh, there she is. Oh, hi. <laughs> 
Um, and yeah, since we're recording this episode um, early this week, I don't have any other news. I know that George Clooney is going to be on her show for an hour on Friday, and that's going to be really fun because, you know, that it's a reunion. I always like when she reunites with people she's worked with in the past. Yep. So by the time that you guys hear this, it will already have happened. We'll report on it in the next episode. Yep. And I'm sure I'm going to be better about watching these things. So I can also. (laughs) (laughs) I'm holding you to that. You just put it on record. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. All right. So let's get to the weekly topic. What are we talking about this week, Ashley? Oh, boy. So we are talking about another magazine. We are going to go through Harper's Bazaar from December 1996. And we didn't purposefully pick a magazine that came out at the same time as Scream. We were just kind of thinking like, ooh, what are the spookiest photos of Drew? Like, what could we theme in October? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And this is where we landed because she's got the black hair and we'll get into it. And it's a great article. It's a classic. The article is by Jonathan Van Meter, who we will be talking to later in this episode. So stay tuned. Yeah. Photographer of the cover and contents images is Peter Lindbergh, and the inside is by Mario Sorrenti. Mario Sorrenti did other photo shoots with her, right? I believe he did George with the Marilyn Monroe. Okay. I think that's it. Okay. I don't know why there's two different photo shoots for this magazine. It seems like a very, and they're both like new. It's not like they like, you know, used a stock photo from somewhere else for the cover and took new photos for the inside. Like, It almost seems like these were done pretty close in time to each other. Yeah. I would love to know the story. That is interesting. But I guess we kind of, when we were talking about Rolling Stone, we talked about the fact that there was clearly a different, we called it setup, like for the cover and the inside. And I, I I have a feeling that might be somewhat common. But now I feel like I need to go through Drew's magazines and kind of think like, is this a different shoot? Is this a different shoot? I can't like, think of many others that have different photographers yeah. though. Oh, I see. Yeah. So that's that, that in itself is its own thing. Yeah. Okay. The makeup was by Kevin Aquan, who is a legendary makeup artist, no longer with us, unfortunately. But yeah. as you guys probably know, he had this awesome book called Making Faces and Drew appeared in it in two different looks and they definitely seem to have a really cool relationship with each other Mm -hmm. totally and then the hair um so for the cover photo shoot it was done by someone named odile gilbert hope i said Mm -hmm. that right and then for the inside photos they were done by oscar blondie who has definitely worked with drew another time but I should have looked that up and <laughs> known what it was. Maybe I'll That's tell you okay. next time. <laughs> That's okay. These photos are really unique and really special. I mean, obviously there aren't many shoots out there where she's got her lovely black hair. I mean, I don't think we've ever done a count, but just a handful. Yeah. Really. Not, I mean, not a lot at all. And I think, is it safe to say this is one of your favorites personally for you? It is. It is one of my all-time favorites. Okay, um, I mean, it's partially because of the black hair, but it's also just the entire vibe of it. Um, I actually did a copycat of this photo shoot. Like, Yeah, but put it in context. It's not like you just randomly decided to do that. That's true. So, um, because you also did one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) On the grapevine, probably in what, 2000, 
one or two Mm, had to be three because that was the photo shoot I did was from 2003 so okay 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 there we go so in 2003 I don't even know who would do this but we'd be like given themes right to do photo shoots it was Adrian that sounds right and I was actually gonna say that was she kind of like in charge with setting up the themes yeah I think she had her own like section on the board where it would be like the monthly theme or okay weekly no I think it was monthly and like I remember one of them was something about like peace signs and I like used flower petals to make a bunch of peace signs or something (laughs) I don't remember (laughs) that many of them but this one stands out of course so basically long story short we were challenged kind of to do a copycat of a Drew photo shoot and for some reason I chose this one (laughs) which is like I had black hair at the time but beyond that like it wasn't an easy one (laughs) I don't know. I feel like you nailed it. I remember it being really close. Like I might've even helped you with it. That's what I was thinking. Did you help (laughs) me? Like, were you there with me? I think I might've been, but it's also that thing of like, was I there or do I just remember looking at them and thought, you know what I mean? But somebody had to have helped me. Like, I don't remember. All right. I'm going to take credit for it. So let's talk about these beautiful images, not your mm-hmm. versions of them. That's different, but <laughs> the Drew original <laughs> version. Um, so the cover, oh, so beautiful. It's black and white. It's pretty close up on her face. Mm-hmm. She's got like her black hair curls kind of coming around, smudged eyeliner, and like that classic little Drew smirk. It's just <sighs> gorgeous. It's such a gorgeous cover. For some reason, I also love that it's black and white and the title of the magazine's in color. Yeah, it's like pink, like, right? Yeah, I think so too. And for some reason it like looks really cool. I don't know. It's aesthetically a really beautiful cover, like not just because of her face. And then the picture in the contents of the magazine is very similar to the cover, but it's in color. She's got her hand on her chest. Um, there are outtakes of this in the how to take a picture feature with fun expressions also in Harper's Bazaar, but not in the same issue. So weird. Yeah. And uh, I was so obsessed with getting that clipping for so long and finally got it. I think yeah. I feel like it took me like years to get it. I don't even <laughs> was, have the full page. I, I think I just have, you just the, have the pictures. Yeah. I think like I finally got the full page. And they're so cute. Oh, they're, they're so cute. And then there are also behind the scenes pictures in Kevin Aquan's book. And they're so sweet. <laughs> and there's a couple that I didn't make a note of this, but there's a couple that were printed also in Harper's Bazaar after he passed away from his like personal scrapbook. Oh, basically. that's right. Like, there was Polaroids. like a Polaroid. Yeah. Oh, there was a beautiful Polaroid. There's two. They're both amazing. What does like, it say on like, the Polaroid? On the- yeah I don't know I don't know how he like used to I think he used to make these like little doodles and notes on them it's kind of hard to read though also her hair like looks short I guess she had layers I can't tell if it's just like pinned up in the back because it's definitely it was pinned up in the back so she must have had layers yeah oh my gosh okay so inside the actual feature there's actually 10 black and white really expressive shots there's one that's like a full page and then the rest are just smaller throughout that's a lot for inside a magazine which is awesome yeah it is her makeup has these like 
fake thin eyebrows that are mm-hmm. above her own like natural ones she's got like Clara bow lips so it's like got that real silent film star vibe and totally all kinds of different looks like expressions and faces I feel like and I don't know if you remember are the pictures like some are on the front of one page and then on the back like if you were to cut them out <laughs> I think so <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about yeah, like yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. double-sided I believe so I feel like at some point because early on in the in collecting I would like choose mm, <laughs> like I cut them uh, out yeah and I feel like I chose like which ones I really liked and like sacrificed the back <laughs> I could totally I mean I love to all of these but I feel like I'm I'm remembering a, like a painful cutting through <laughs> cutting one of, of the magazine <laughs> yes oh yeah um but these are killer like they're so they're awesome and these totally are the, like quote-unquote spooky ones that we felt were like very Halloween <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the others kind of have a Halloween-y vibe to them too like dark and and we're not just being like when people have black hair they're goth although <laughs> maybe according to my dad you were <laughs> for context y'all that's uh <laughs> ashley's dad called me goth that was just my nickname goth still, still calls you that to this day if i mention you oh goth <laughs> oh my god <laughs> how did he know what that meant i don't know Something yeah that's about a it great really question funny. actually <laughs> how does he know, even know that now <laughs> and so there are two images inside that are color Although they have kind of a dreamy vibe, like the color is a little bit um, toned down, wouldn't right. you say? They're not like, like bright and Full colorful. saturation. Mm-hmm. And they're both yeah. full page, which is so awesome. Ugh, so cool. The first one, she's sitting in front of a, a bunch of cacti. Um, she's wearing a see-through slip, which you noted is by Miu Miu, which is really cool. And if you all don't know, she did a modeling campaign with Miu Miu the previous year. Yeah. Um, and then you can see her butterfly tattoo through her dress. And if I remember correctly, you can also maybe see her cross on her leg. Hmm. Uh, yeah, you can. <laughs> okay. It's just so dark. Like, yeah, it's almost in shadow. Yeah. Y'all, by the way, our descriptions, you really need to just go and look at them. But she's got her hands and her hair and she's kind of looking down and her armpits are unshaved, which I'd kind of forgotten about, although it totally makes sense and fits. And God, these are just stunning. The second one is her standing in front of just a red curtain, like a backdrop, and she's Mm -hmm. leaning on a bar stool. Same stool, I bet. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And she's wearing a black camisole and skirt, which I looked up and they were by Betsy Johnson. Both her butterfly and her moon toe tattoos are visible. Um, That's cool. So we get to see four of her tattoos in this. Oh, wait, sorry. Three. Butterfly twice. But as we've mentioned before, we love a tattoo peak. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Always. Like there's something. And I feel like I still get excited now. I do too. Like, And usually she has obviously like her torso covered, but because she's got a few on her arms, it's kind of like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. it, It feels personal. It's one of those things. Almost seeing like her cross tattoos, almost like if she shares like an old photo of herself or something. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, so should we get into the article a little yeah, bit? Yeah, because that's it for the photos. But this is a great article. It's just 
articles were just different in the 90s I swear <laughs> yeah and it's it's really beautifully written it's got some like wonderful detail in it mm-hmm. just like about the like moment of the interview and kind of like the before and after and what was going on surrounding it and yeah I don't know maybe I just don't really read articles anymore but I feel like it's not like one of those like here's the question and here's the answer kind of feeling it's very feels I would say a little similar to the Rolling Stone one from 1995 that we covered really sensing that this journalist is hanging out with her and what that was like totally so let's kick it off. The article starts at this restaurant called Shopsons in New York. And Drew still loves it there. I heard her mention it not that long ago. It was near the apartment that she got while filming um, Everyone Says I Love You. And she was sharing that apartment with Edward Norton, which that detail comes out later in the article. I'm just going to spoil it at the top. <laughs> <laughs> sharing it platonically just for those people out there who think, oh, they went to the Oscars together. They dated. They did not date. Yeah, there are a lot of rumors of them having dated. <laughs> um, Although we did, did did we have kind of a thing where we were like wondering if her talking yeah. about a friend and a relationship ending? Yes. Or kind of going they, they might have was, like if that was about once, but they didn't date. Okay. I don't um, remember if we talked about that on the podcast. We did. I think it was like in our okay. first episode or something. So okay. go back and listen if you're curious. <laughs> um, so Drew is like super late for the interview. So Jonathan Van Meter, the journalist, is sitting at this diner with Gwen Stroman, who was her assistant mm-hmm. at this time. She later on was the assistant for Nancy on music and lyrics. She produced Fever Pitch and He's Just Not That Into You. She also was an assistant to Angelica Houston for a while after Ever After. So she was like a flower film staffer. And she was also at um, Jimmy Fallon and Nancy's wedding, which mm-hmm. she was like the only other familiar face who was at that besides Drew's date, Justin Long. <laughs> so just a little background. It was kind of fun to see her name mentioned in such an early place. Gwen is there and she's saying that, you know, Drew should be here soon. And the guy's getting a little frustrated. And then Drew pages Gwen, like on a beeper, <laughs> for those of you who don't know what that means. <laughs> and if you don't know what it is, just, you know, look up beeper, pager, <laughs> 90s. 1990s. <laughs> yeah. So Gwen goes and talks to Drew on the phone and reports that Drew's at the vets because Flossie and Templeton were both sick. So Her that's dogs. why. She, yeah. If you sorry. don't know. And if you don't <laughs> know about Flossie and Templeton, go back to the whole episode. episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, so that's why Drew is not there and she will not be making it. And so the article starts off with the guy a little bit like irked at her, as you can imagine. He kind of was like, is this a bunch of bullshit? So, yeah. Yes, and I love the kind of, like, next part about this. Mm -hmm. Like, I love that it immediately is, like, (laughs) resolved. So two days later at the R-I-H-G-A Royal Hotel. I don't know what R-I-H-G-A is. I don't either. In Midtown, she was doing press for Everyone Says I Love You. And Drew is, like, super apologetic. As you can imagine, you know, we know what she's like. Mm -hmm. And Jonathan Van Meter had thought the excuse was a lie. But he immediately forgives her after being, quote, in the presence of this adorable, charming little person, unquote. (laughs) It's like, yeah, we get it. (laughs) Yeah, you could totally imagine that, like, you're like, oh, never mind. I'm not mad at you. You're the best. (laughs) She talks about how sick the dogs were, including about her roommate's shoe getting kind of messed (laughs) a bit. (laughs) Again, mystery Uh, roommate, but we spoiled it as Edward Norton. Which we find out. So Drew is quoted in the article as saying, I swear, if it was anything other than my dogs, I would never be a flake. 
we're like yeah yeah that's you know like including the previous episode when everyone talks about drew it's like she's such a pro right she's prepared she's ready i don't know about her general tardiness or you know anything like that but it's like when it this comes tracks. to work <laughs> yeah like she's she's prepared like she's there she would flake like she said unless it was her pets you know, or at this point, probably her children. But like, right. <laughs> I like yeah. how I said probably. I feel comfortable saying that that would be true. That's true. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, that's why we had that whole episode on those pets, because those animals were her world back then. So the article goes on to just do, you know, the kind of usual quick summary of like her recent career it says that she was the best part of Boys on the Side. And I think Rolling Stone said that too. They quickly mention, everyone says, I love you. And the quote was that she literally lights up the screen. Which is such an often quoted thing about her that she literally lights, like glows, is lit from within, you know? Aww, yeah. And then um, Scream, all that is said about that is that it's slightly campy, but nevertheless, nail-biting performance. In the article, Drew talks about early flower films projects that neither of which got off the ground, ultimately including Like a Lady, which she describes as Pygmalion meets The Wizard of Oz. Like, that sounds cool. I know. And I know, like, many times I feel like that came up. Oh, for years. Yeah. And then All She Wanted, which is the same story as Boys Don't Cry, which is probably why the movie was shelved. Hillary Swank um, was on the Drew Barrymore show this month, and they talked about the movie, but Drew never said anything about the project. Yeah, I was, like, which... waiting the whole time. Like, every time they brought it up, which was, like, a couple times, I was like, is she going to say anything? But she never did. Because <laughs> I feel like, like a lady and all she wanted, I feel like those came up a lot of times oh, within, yeah. like, a couple of years' time. For sure. Like, she, um, I, I know at one point Diane Keaton was even involved with um, All She Wanted. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was like definitely going to happen. You know, just two competing movies doing the same thing and who knows yep. what other factors. Hillary Swank's performance was amazing. So. I think that's probably why Drew didn't want to say anything. She didn't want to be like, well, you won an Oscar for that, but I was going to do the same role, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. so then Drew, so they're in the, the hotel room as stated, and then Drew just says, let's get in bed. <laughs> so they like got on her bed. <laughs> We're just, I'm going to call him JVM from now on because this is how he signs his emails. <laughs> so, and it's fun. <laughs> so she's like, oh, I'm going to go through your bag, JVM. And she finds like there was a bunch of magazines in there and a lot of them had Madonna. And she talks about Madonna a lot in this article. So one of the things she says is, I always get that I look like Madonna. People mistake me for her all the time. And then she's like, can you believe Madonna as a mother? She seems too career oriented. And then even later on, she's like distracted by the size of Madonna's diamond. So I don't know why that was like such a thing she was fixating on in this article. It's, but. it's also like when I read that, I was a little bit like, I don't think she would ever say that someone was too career oriented to be a mother. Oh, no, now? she definitely used to say things. I mean, we could go back to some of some other articles where I'm like, ooh, she would never say that now. <laughs> like she had no problem yeah. just speaking her mind and she never wants to upset anybody these days. And I don't think she cared as much back then. JVM <laughs> describes <laughs> that Drew's hair was black, that she had dark purple lipstick and eyeshadow on. And um, she was wearing, in her words, quote, lame plaid trousers, a black tank top and a green cardigan. Basically, I don't match and I'm a total nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Which is cool. I love that. Yeah, me too. And it also sounds 
really cute. I know. I was thinking the same. I'm like, God, I wish we had pictures of this. <laughs> but also, like, I'm wondering if we've seen any of those elements. It reminds me of something she is wearing in that year. I will pull it up and see how close it is. It's at least, okay. I think it's at least plaid pants, but we'll see. Okay. <laughs> so cute. Um, So she starts, well, funnily enough, because you were talking about the career thing and being yeah. a mom. So then she does say that she has a two-year plan to finish the movies that she's working on, move to Texas to be with her boyfriend. She won't say who he is. Build a farm and start a family. So that's pretty interesting to think about. As we now know, of course, it was Luke Wilson. But in yep. the um, in the interview, she's like, we'll call him Bob. <laughs> and I know. She says, I've been seeing him for about six months and I'm madly, madly, madly in love. I've totally met the person I want to have children with without question. It's funny because when I was doing my scream research, one of the press junket interviews, the woman who's interviewing her is from Texas. And she's uh-huh. like, oh, my boyfriend's from there. And the lady's like, oh, who's your boyfriend? She's like, I'm not going to tell. <laughs> so I think she was just like, <laughs> and it was, you know, basically the same time as this article. So I think she was just yeah. in a phase of like, let me try to keep something. Let me try something different. Keep it secret. Yeah. But we know. Yeah. And I just, long. I got to, I got to jump back to your screen research, by the way, because I was just thinking about the fact that um, there was the little tidbit about her telling Courtney Cox that she thought right. she might be pregnant. And yeah. then you kind of were like, oh my God, she was with Luke at the time. So it's just kind of interesting to think of the timeline and kind of like what she was going through with that relationship. I don't know. Yeah, it's, she definitely it, saw her life going a different way than it did. Yeah, totally. Um, she says also in the article, speaking of her separation with Eric Erlinson from Hole and Courtney Love, um, she says she's still good friends with Eric and says about Courtney that she, this is a quote, I really love her. She's so smart. She blows my mind. I think she's such an eloquent person. And if she wants to go out there and be crazy, let her. <laughs> and fun. I feel like we've had a couple brief conversations about Courtney. Yeah. Just kind of trying to figure out if they got along. We had like literally seen them in pictures together getting along. But yet there was kind of a moment where definitely a time I mean she said like we're not friends at all at one point and then it's like they totally were friends so what did she say in Rolling Stone was that when we talked about it that one's she's like we're not friends but like I respect her I'm pretty sure that's what it was at that point and then like that same year she's like saying they're great friends so okay must have evolved (laughs) yeah that makes sense God, it's funny how much this comes up in the in the 90s articles. Yeah. But, so she gets mad about something a journalist had said about her marriage to Jeremy Thomas. And I used marriage very lightly. Mm-hmm. Um, she once again explains that it was a green card situation and that it was the only time she's ever been untruthful to herself. I'm glad she doesn't get asked about this all the time anymore. Yeah, I know. I if she it- did, it would it would be like somebody being an asshole about right. like her having been married multiple times or something. I mean, you know, I was like, like I could be an asshole and be like, it's probably because she's been married twice since. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're like more interested in the ones that lasted right a little bit longer. Exactly. Um, I love the part of the article with these twenty little known facts. I know. Although I, I have some it? questions about some of them, so I think it's worthwhile to just go through each one. All right. So let's right, just go. switch off. <laughs> okay. So she's a strict vegan. She does not shave her armpits, which we can see that in the photos. Yes. So she's a natural brunette. She picks her nose in public. <laughs> she considers herself bisexual, though she's never met a woman who could hold her attention for long. 
She makes up words. Her latest is aquacy instead of awkward. She considers herself maladroit, which means awkward. I'm sorry <laughs> if I'm pronouncing that wrong. <laughs> Sounds fancy. <laughs> she has always wanted to have sex with a drag queen. So that's a fun one. Ooh. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> and when was it that she was like doing the stripping stuff or at least hanging out at drag clubs? Like the end of 95. So like a year prior. I wonder why she didn't put this information in uh, her blog post. <laughs> I kid, I kid. <laughs> we want a blog post about this. Um, okay, the next was that she had been told she looked like Renee Russo, which I guess I could kind of see. Yeah, I could see it back then. Um, and okay. then she also had been told that she looks like Lisa Marie Presley, which at that time, there was a similar like makeup look going on, I think. Lisa Marie Presley is the daughter of... Elvis right yeah and I remember her daughter I'm not gonna get her name right it's Riley something I remember seeing pictures of her a long time ago and thinking she looked like Drew so there's definitely oh, some interesting. sort of resemblance yeah her favorite <laughs> poet E.E. E. Cummings that's like a, that's a pretty constant for her yeah favorite band the Beatles of course another constant mm-hmm. favorite Beatles song I will which I feel like I don't know if she said that multiple times but I always associate that with her oh totally I definitely yeah. have known that favorite flower brace yourselves a daisy <laughs> no I know shocking information no <laughs> favorite actress Jennifer Jason Lee speaking of people that you've been oh, told you look like true. that's your doppelganger <laughs> yeah that is true she mentions her a lot in the 90s she really liked that um Jennifer always really portrayed very different characters had different looks mm-hmm. different voices that was kind of a thing that Drew was into back then not so much these days like- I don't think I've seen her in anything in a long time. Yeah. I also just realized it's her middle name, Jason. It's a stage name. And she took it from the actor, Jason Robarbs, who was like a family friend because her parents are both like oh. three people. Okay, cool. <laughs> Thanks for the tidbit. For you. Sure. Um, this is the How Do You Jennifer podcast. <laughs> Favorite actor was Gary Sinise, which is really random, I think. Yeah, that is random. This one confuses me. So it's she believes Alanis Morissette couldn't scare anybody. What? I, okay, I would imagine, and maybe this is a question for JVM if he remembers. I would imagine maybe like her song came on, you know, you ought to know, which is like kind of threatening. And I would imagine oh. that Drew was like, I don't think she could scare anybody. <laughs> That's how oh. I imagine this. <laughs> I kind of want to ask about it. <laughs> yeah, we should. Okay, three more. She drinks alcohol in moderation. She gets annoying, creepy email from a guy called killed Kennedy at dot, dot, dot. They don't have the whole email in there. Which is probably good. Was Drew getting email in 1996? Yeah, that's what I want to (laughs) know. I feel like she barely had a phone. (laughs) But maybe she did for like work. And then it was just kind of like somehow somebody, (laughs) the email killed Kennedy. Hey, killed Kennedy, send us a message and let us know. I kid. Oh my God. And then finally, the last little fact is that she says she's the president of the last to know club, <laughs> which I thought was really cute. Yeah. I'm sorry I made you read all of those, but also you're welcome, everyone. <laughs> yeah, they were fun. You're right. It was worth it. <laughs> I thought so. So she, I mean, this is kind of a thing that we're going to have noticed in many things about Drew and oh my her mother. Gosh. Actually, Scream might have been our only episode we didn't talk about Jade in some capacity. She wow. just comes up a lot in everything we talk about. She comes up a lot. I mean, Drew has a complicated relationship with her mother. And in this yep. in this case, she got uncomfortable when asked about Jade. 
And she said, they don't talk because quote, I don't know. I don't understand her. And I try to for so long. I just think that way too much shit has happened. I think we differ in the fact that she seems to love Hollywood and I hate Hollywood. Yeah, I feel like that's pretty like, yeah, but it also feels like accurate. Yeah. I feel like when she was a teenager, she talked about that feeling like her mom, like cared more about being a manager than a mom. But I mean, it doesn't feel untrue. I agree with you. I'm like, yeah, that seems right. But um, or just that like, you know, somebody, how somebody feels about like attention and mm -hmm. I don't know. I shouldn't say it feels, it feels accurate because it's like a jab. I feel like it feels accurate because when you think about like the details of what that means and how Jade went about raising Drew, that if you think about it that way, like what it means to love Hollywood, what it means to hate it. I don't know. And I don't think Drew would say now that she hates Hollywood. She'd probably just say she doesn't like how Hollywood pressures people or something. Well, yeah, the next part, she kind of explains herself there. Okay. So she said uh, she feels like as a producer, she can make a great working environment for people instead of sitting on the sidelines and complaining about how competitive, shallow, inconsistent, and cruel it is. So, yep. Obviously, that's kind of how she viewed the industry at that time. Yeah. And then speaking of her parents, she said of her dad, which I found this interesting, but it also like I know that because this is like late 96, we know in 97, she had a relationship with her father to some extent because she talks about in Jane 97, right? Am I remembering that right? Oh, I don't know. I think in Jane 97, she's like talking about having seen her father recently. Okay. Definitely but went back I might... and forth over the years. Yeah but she's quoted about her dad. We're actually really close now, which is nice. He started wearing shoes and I stopped wearing shoes. Kind of ironic. <laughs> I thought that was really cute. She stopped wearing shoes because she was filming Scream Barefoot and she just stuck with it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So then we get to like one of my favorite parts of the whole article. Yes. Ah, so she shows a picture of Bob, AKA Luke Wilson. <laughs> and then she dumps out her backpack to go through She's like, it's only fair because I went through your stuff. And, you know, this happened in the Rolling Stone article that we did, too, which why is it so fun to go through her stuff through words? I don't know. Ooh, so let's go through. So her what bag. was in her bag? Ah. Well, yeah, let's go through it. We can, <laughs> let's switch off again. Um, so the first thing was a Ziploc bag of makeup. And then she says, like, she goes on to the next item and she's like, I don't wear makeup. But what is the thing that's the world to her? Oh. <laughs> I know. I love this. A can of Jerome Russell hair and body glitter spray. <laughs> this is everything in the world to me. And this was like definitely her glitter era. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I feel like the most glittery that she looked on in a public appearance was Oscars 98. Yeah. But she definitely like was all about the body glitter. And also like I was all about the body glitter for uh, a while. Who wasn't? I still am. I still would wear it. <laughs> I haven't in such a long time, but I had like body shimmer. I remember being with you and us putting like glitter on our eyelids. Like yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> yep. I feel like I can picture us doing in one of your apartments. Oh, I love that. <laughs> anyway, the next thing is uh, patchouli oil and cedar wood to smell like dirt, which I really love. <laughs> I know. And Something she puts about, it like, on him, by the way. Yeah. I know. And then like later is like, we smell so good. <laughs> so cute. And then she has a hemp wallet with embroidered mushroom, which I could totally picture, right? So 90s. Yep. Yes. And then she says Tylenol with codeine for cramps. 
that's intense that's like yeah prescription that's probably why she had to clarify it was for cramps (laughs) yeah then she has a baby safety pin which also came up in rolling stone is that what was holding together her sunglasses yeah and then um, she says she has a credit card and a bank card that won't work (laughs) (laughs) she has her favorite gum and it's natural sap from a tree love to know i was intrigued Yeah, yeah exactly she finds $2 and she's really excited because she says she never has money. <laughs> There's the address of a bar called Ruby's that apparently to her has the best blues jukebox. But I wonder if that's in New York or if it's in Who LA. Knows, right? Or it could be anywhere in the country because she just done that cross country trip with Nancy Good point. in the RV. <laughs> Good point. She talks about a book she's reading, which I believe she mentions is somehow inspired by the blues jukebox but anyway uh, music for chameleons by truman capote and then she's excited to read the poem about marilyn monroe and says she's a big underliner of all her books and she's still a big underliner of all her books she always like annotates everything she reads so that's fun that that's like a through line i just gotta ask are you like a person who writes in books no I'm not, and I've never been, and I also am, like, I only, maybe in the last five years, have allowed myself to start, like, dog-earing the corners. I know. I don't like messing up the pages at all. (laughs) But some people are such underliners. Drew is very, like, when she has a book, it's, like, in her library, and it's there for life, kind of. Like, she's, like, there by, or, I don't know, maybe I'm making that up, but I feel like at some point she was, like, my books are very important to me. Definitely. Have always been. So, to each their own, but I will not write in a book. <laughs> I totally agree. But I love the idea because I love the idea of like recording how you're feeling or kind of like what you're vibing with. I do highlight in my Kindle <laughs> because I can take okay. it away with the like touch okay. of a finger. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Okay, then she shows two photos and I'll just quote this. She says, okay, that's my boyfriend. Isn't he good looking? He's probably the cutest boy I've ever gone out with. I usually go out with very odd looking men, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, and then the other photo, she said, these are my two dogs. And that's my stepson, Ted, my boyfriend's dog. They're like family. Isn't it nice? <laughs> and I actually, so cute. I don't remember where it was. You know, I've been going through so many articles lately, but I actually came across something that said like her dogs, Flossie, Templeton and Ted. So she really did feel that way. Cute. The last thing listed in her bag is a tape with Melrose Place on it, which she says she has every episode sent to her. <laughs> and JVM asks who her favorite character is. And she says, Sydney. And then she said, Heather Locklear is a really nice person and played her mom in Firestarter. And then she says, you wonder how old she is. <laughs> I think she was probably too young to play Drew's mom in Firestarter, but that's yeah. Hollywood for you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that was our little tour through Drew's backpack. Also, I love that, of course, it was a backpack, just like now she carries a backpack instead of a purse. Yeah, good point. So good. All right. So the article moves on. They talk about her being photographed on the streets of New York while she was filming Wishful Thinking the previous year. Mm-hmm. Um, she says that the film was too low budget for anyone to have trailers. And Drew asked if she could pay for her own, but she was denied to be able to do that because they didn't want it to appear like she got special treatment. So she rented <laughs> a U-Haul and put a couch in it and filled it with candles and basically lived out of it for two months. She's <laughs> like... <laughs> I would love to have seen but that. But also, like, I, I right away pictured, well, first I was like, fire hazard. But yeah. second of all, <laughs> totally. second of all, I was, I was thinking, like, 
of the scene in that love with all the candles oh i love that so then she kind of hesitates to say but she says i was really unhappy on that movie because i got manipulated into doing it Mm -hmm. so jvm asks her hey was it like a trade-off with the studio to get to do everyone says i love you and Mm -hmm. she says yes she says that miramax had also done the same thing to gwyneth paltrow and she called Harvey Weinstein, sorry, two episodes in a row with that name. (laughs) She calls Harvey Weinstein out for it. And Drew says, not only hats off to Gwyneth Paltrow, but I'm going to do it too. I got fucking manipulated into doing a goddamn movie I hated. (laughs) (laughs) Even though I know this is true. And, you know, it doesn't mean that a movie that someone hating the experience of doing it, that the movie's terrible. Okay, so let me just admit the movie is terrible. (laughs) <laughs> but I like it. Well, I mean, do you like it for the movie or do you like it because she's so great in it and so fun to watch and look at? It's like all for me, like I could just watch her scenes and love that. But the rest of it, I'm like, it's just, I think it's because of her. Yeah. So at this point in the article, she gets a call from her roomie, a.k.a. Edward Norton. <laughs> Where he's hanging out with, quote, Bob, unquote. (laughs) And then she said, uh, Bob's reading the paper and Edward's playing the guitar. I love the men in my life. And she has kind of like a lovey-dovey call with Luke. (laughs) And I think in the article, it describes it like she's going back and forth talking to him and talking to JVM. Yes, (laughs) totally. So there's there's a quote like, isn't it great that I believe you love me? God, I swear I thought I'd never get there in my life. Do you believe that I love you? Oh, yeah. All right. (laughs) She holds the phone in the air, then flops back down the bed and rolls around in a fit of giggles. Like, I can picture this. Oh, it's so her. I think he described it very accurately. (laughs) Okay, so she offers JVM a ride home in the limo that's, like, been offered to her to use for the day. Mm -hmm. And they get in the back seat, and there's two books back there that belong to her. One of them is Dorothy Allison's Bastard Out of Carolina. And the other is a collection of E.E. Cummings poetry. She reads her favorite poem, which is entitled, It May Not Always Be So, And I Say. And she's crying while she reads it and says, it's the epitome of when someone has stopped loving you. Hmm. It's interesting that the article ends on this point. I know. Like, I felt like it. Like, it feels like it's cut off, right? Yeah, it felt abrupt. So JVM asks if she's heard of Bijou Phillips. And Drew's quoted saying, they keep talking about me along with her. I know that people always thought that I was really screwed up in my head, but I always had my head on very straight. I just acted the way I wanted to. And then the author quotes headlines like the new Drew and new wild child, which are referring to Bijou. And it says Drew's visibly irritated for the first time all day and says it isn't fair to Bijou to have this comparison, I guess. And it says, uh, your irritation subsides. And she's quoted, I'll tell you something. Unfortunately, I'm not going to take my clothes off anymore. I don't do wild things anymore. I'm so subdued and mellow, but I know that people like wild behavior. So I figure I'm just glad there's some new girl to do it. So I don't have to. <laughs> I actually feel like that quote fits really well with like with what we were saying blog. about the blog. I know. I just had that realization too. That's pretty amazing. And she's saying that in 1996. Okay. There's and our cosmic that's... cow incidents for the episode. <laughs> But I also feel like, you know, think about like Drew. Yeah, she did go through moments like, especially when they did like Charlie's Angels, where I think she was getting in touch with this sort of like hypersexualized side of herself, or at least like 
accepting some of that energy maybe or be encouraged to by studios I don't know but when you think about like what we think of as like wild child I don't know was pre-96 yeah you know like there's something about like them saying this I'm like wait really she was still so young then but like no I think it's it's accurate I think she has said that she flashed Letterman and then she was like okay I'm done with that part of my life I'm not gonna be that person anymore that was great and it's over so yeah, yeah. It, even though she was still super young, 21, like she'd done plenty of partying before that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and also, I mean, we talked about the like hedonism when she was with Justin and right. Yeah. Sure. That's something different. We're not talking about like public hypersexualization, but also something that the blog touches on without even really saying it is just like expectations of women to like mm-hmm. talk about and not admit that maybe they're not sexually active or something because it's shameful like there's no shame (laughs) yeah it is really interesting that we kind of came around full circle like that I love that yeah I love it we're not done yet though because our buddy JVM (laughs) I'm just gonna pretend like we're friends with (laughs) our our soon-to-be buddy Yeah. yeah he reminded us so props to him not to ourselves that he did another article with her in 2006 for Vogue so I went and got it out just to be curious and I was like geez I'm glad that he reminded us because they talk about the bizarre article quite a bit and I thought it'd be fun (laughs) to say like here's what they sort of said about it 10 years later yep so it starts off and Drew gets there early like before him and she makes a joke about last time. So she remembers, you know, about not showing up at all because of her dog. She said it's like renewing their vows and that they should do it every 10 years. Yeah, that's so fun. <laughs> that's really cute. Did they do it in 2016? I don't think so. <laughs> I'll just ask him, why are you guys so overdue for your vows? <laughs> so she reread the article and here's what she had to say about it. It seemed like I must have spoken at a mile a minute. I was bouncing (laughs) off the walls. I was very free and unguarded. I feel like I was a little firecracker or something. A Mexican jumping bean. (laughs) (laughs) And as soon as I read that little quote, I was like, oh, Drewism. (laughs) That's a perfect Drewism. (laughs) Who describes himself as a Mexican jumping bean? (laughs) Or a firecracker, (laughs) a little firecracker. (laughs) So cute. Yeah. And then... uh, she said she's still bursting at the seams with emotion, cries all the time, loves E.E. Cummings, and even more so, quote, because he remains the purest and most heartfelt. And she says heartfelt is really important and a big theme for her. Oh, kind of turning back that. around to hearts and oh, heartfelt. Yeah, it's fun that they like, I think it's kind of unusual for a journalist to, you know, talk to them again and refer to the previous article I know that happened Mm -hmm. like once with movie line but uh yeah it was really neat to see that 10 years had gone by and they like looked back on the Harper's Bazaar article so we are so excited that we got to sit down and have a conversation with the author of this article Jonathan Van Meter And we think you guys are really going to like hearing what he has to say, the details, the way he describes Drew. It was a wonderful conversation, and we're excited to share it with you. So enjoy. Jonathan spent 30 years as a contributing editor at Vogue, where he wrote cover stories about everyone from Oprah to Lady Gaga to Hillary Clinton, was the founding editor at Vibe, 
is the author of The Last Good Time and is currently working on a yet-to-be-announced biography of a big star for Viking. Welcome, Jonathan. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. This is really cool. This is uh, it's only our second interview ever. And uh, Anne and I recorded the bulk of the episode already. So we already went through the whole article. And now we're so thrilled that we get to talk to you about it, the person who wrote it. <laughs> it's amazing. I had, you know, I hadn't looked it back at it in a long time. And so it was really fun to reread it. I read it twice. And I was like, yeah, this is pretty good. It's a yeah. good one. That's why we chose it's great. it. <laughs> it's a classic that we love. And we've both read many times over the years. So yeah. we're really excited. Um, so we were wondering when you did this interview in 1996, was this the first time that you had met Drew Barrymore? Uh, yes, uh, but but it's funny. I was just thinking about it this morning. Um, I had I had just broken up with a boyfriend that I was with for four years, and I had just moved into a new apartment in the West Village, um, and I was miserable and lonely. And this piece was a uh, the first piece that I ever wrote for Harper's Bazaar, and I felt like they rescued me by calling me to ask me to write this profile. Oh, what's so funny is that. Like it was a time in New York when I had sort of fallen into this new crowd of people because I needed to reinvent myself. And I was going to a place called Squeezebox. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I would see. And so so Drew was making movies in the city and she was she was running around with Courtney Love and Eric Erlinson. And I and it's like all of the people in my friend circle would always be reporting Drew sightings or like that she would like, like come up to them to say hello. Do you know what I mean? And so she was sort of in the ether. Like I, I knew all of these people that were like one, one degree removed from her. And so it was just a really funny thing when I got the assignment, it was like, um, of course I should be writing about Drew Barrymore right now, you know? Oh, that's so great. That really sets the time for us because we know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about, that era of her life. So yeah. that's really cool. It, it was a really great era in New York. It was... um. There was this, there was a, I started hanging out with lesbians because I decided that all the gay men that I was hanging out with were, were getting on my nerves. <laughs> there was this place called Meow Mix. It was this lesbian bar. And like, there was this cool thing going on where like Squeezebox was kind of a gay bar and Meow Mix was kind of a lesbian bar, but like people like Drew would show up. You know what I mean? It was, and, and, and Courtney Love. And there was just this really interesting moment in New York when, when it felt like there were a lot of people like I would always bump into um, Rufus Wainwright and Mark Jacobs would be at the same clubs, the bars and clubs. It was, it was just a really interesting moment in New York and she was a part of it. So cool. Wow. Thanks for sharing that information. It really, yeah. Like, like Ashley said, it really kind of sets the tone that we kind of, because we've, neither of us were fans in 1995 or 1996. Like we both kind of came in 1998, but we were so kind of familiar with the kind of, idea of what it meant for drew to be this star in 1995 like we we can sense like she was kind of a grunge sweetheart that there was this kind of like that she was integrating with all these interesting crowds and like for us to have missed that it's like oh so it's sort of like there's a yearning for that era of drew's life and like knowing details about it and, and so that's i feel like you're giving us just a little bit more kind of a inside I, I was I just sort of took a note when I was reading the profile this morning and I and I and I wrote down that she was the first person I ever met who made being a neo hippie slash flower child slash punk rock girl not annoying. She was like <laughs> she it was it, she made it so appealing and so yes. lovely. Like she was the first person I knew that had like a hemp wallet with a, a mushroom embroidered on it and a and the sort of being a vegan and not wearing leather and all that stuff. But somehow she made that, that had previously been 
that sort of archetype was like an annoying person. <laughs> and she turns it into this very charming, funny thing that kind of crossed boundaries. Like she was punk, but she was also a hippie, but she was also this kind of like America's sweetheart. It was a, it was a really interesting um, magic trick that she created at the time. And everybody loved her. <laughs> what a perfect love, description. Oh my gosh. I love that. I feel like we're going to have to like pull that quote yeah. <laughs> because there's something about like her containing multitudes and doing it with grace and beauty. It included the, you know, the hemp oil and, you know, all these other things. Like she sm- wanted to smell like dirt and that was genuine. She wasn't doing it because she thought that that might make her cool. Yes, exactly. And in a way, I think what we're talking about is something that is overused and always discussed now, which is authenticity. She's authentic. Yeah. She was like this early authentic soul that I that I remember coming away from that that experience with her and being so um, just sort of blown away by it. I was I was bowled over, you know. No wonder you're that. a writer. <laughs> I'm like, this is so <laughs> delicious. <laughs> it's so wonderful. So um, speaking of that time that you spent with her, is there anything you remember that didn't make it into the article? Like anything about the experience of like hanging out that you that you think that wouldn't have been maybe even something mundane that you remember? You know, it's funny. I, I, I unfortunately, I didn't, I, I wasn't able to go back and look at the transcripts, which would have helped me remember things. But it's not so much. It's not so much something that I that I that I didn't use. Um, it is more that it was a feeling that I remember, which was, you know, I know that you guys know the piece so well as close readers of it that it started off terribly. <laughs> right. I had to wait for an hour and a half in a restaurant that I hated. So I was like already annoyed that I had to go to Shopsons, which is a place that I couldn't stand, and so. Then she had this dog mishap, and I was stuck waiting for her for an hour and a half in a restaurant that I hated. And so I was really, really like, oh my God, I'm not gonna like her, this is such a drag. So that by the time that I finally met her and realized what had happened, it was in the midst of this scene in a hotel where she had just done 47 interviews over like 48 hours and there were pizza boxes everywhere and like clothes. She was like walking on her clothes and I was thrown off by the chaos and the vibe when I walked in. And then somehow she managed to suck me into the chaotic moment in her life and just ride it it was like I don't know it just it's what made the piece so interesting actually because it was no it was like no other interview I'd ever done and that that's it was the feeling that I remember the most was like whoa like I felt like I just had to get on you know what I mean and go for a ride (laughs) that's really conveyed well like I when you say the feeling I'm like yep I'm right there with you because you brought that across in the article (laughs) me was um uh, the description of what she's wearing um, is her describing it. And so um, I usually describe what people are wearing and what I remember thinking about it. Cause she's like, Oh, these lame pants and this nerdy sweater, but she looked so fucking cool. Like she was, <laughs> she was like, she had her hair dyed black and she was dressed. Like she just looked like a little punk rat, but like beautiful. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> like the plaid pants were so cool. They were so sort of like, like early 80s punk rock that um I think of parking pants as being like a classic punk look you know what I mean absolutely as you're describing this I'm picturing that like because she said like that let's get in the bed so I'm thinking of like if the floor was scattered with all kinds of stuff from her busy day of like literally working maybe the bed was the place that felt the most inviting and felt the most like all right we can get away from this as we just go right here and just have kind of an intellectual bubble (laughs) kind of placed over us for this amount of time (laughs) That's totally what happened. And, and the other thing was, 
the only other time that in my life that I um, did something sort of so intimate with a subject was with Charlize Theron, and this was not all that long ago. And she suggested that we go get like a massage together, a couple's massage. Oh. And when I got there, did I realize, oh my God, we're literally on tables next to each other. And we have to take our clothes off. Like, anyway, the only other time in my life that anything like that happened was Charlize, but with, that was the first time something like that happened. And you climb into bed with somebody and they're rubbing oil into your arm. <laughs> like, like, whoa. Like, so there was like a boundary crossing, except it was somehow in the she was able to create this bubble of intimacy like by getting us out of the chaos and into the bed and looking through our bags and then like rubbing potions into my arm <laughs> <laughs> a yeah. little fairy is like bringing you into her magical little realm <laughs> right I can I can picture it like it's so amazing I'm also just like how young she was and at, at really how young you were right because you did you say you were 32 I was 31 probably thinking about how young you are in that situation if, if it was a person who's like not down with getting intimate like you had to react the right way you know sure. not that she would have like had any different way of being if you had been like oh I don't like being touched you know like it would have she would be like oh great let's do whatever makes you feel comfortable <laughs> but it's just like lovely that she because I just feel like she has this way of being where like everyone feels like suddenly you're her best friend very few people have this gift but it is that they create a vibe and, a, and an atmosphere and a, and a bubble for you to join in on and you end up being more like them than yourself in that bubble with them and that's one of the part of the power that she has you're just so sort of like it's almost like you become a better different version of yourself while you're with her <laughs> that completely <Wow>. tracks <laughs> we, we get that. totally yep <laughs> Okay, so um, we know that when Drew did the interview with you that she was keeping the identity of her boyfriend a secret. We were wondering if you personally recognized that it was Luke Wilson when she showed you his photo or if he was too like unknown at that time. No idea who he was then. And I, and I remember figuring it out like, I don't know whether it was while I was still writing the piece or after the piece came out, but it was, no, I didn't know. I don't think I knew who he was. And in fact, when I was reading it just now, um, I was like, wait, Bob, who's Bob again? I heard about it and I had to Google it because I couldn't remember that they were a couple together. So you mentioned transcripts, but I wanted to know if that meant that you had recorded audio during the interview and if that's something you generally do. Yes, I, I, I run the tape recorder uh, the whole time I'm with a person and I transcribe everything myself. Um, and it's, it's like part of the process for me with even the longest pieces where I follow like Hillary Clinton around for a month. I record every second that I'm with them. My um, God. And it's exhausting to transcribe. But that was a very tight situation where we were together for a couple of hours. And so it was just tape recorder on when I walk in, tape recorder off when I leave. Uh, yeah. That's funny because our next question was, it felt like you were with her for like hours and hours and hours because of all the details. But was that a general, is that about how much time you normally spend? Just a couple of hours? I, no, I usually spend more than that. So in this case, it was just, that's what I got. I got access to her. Usually I spend time with somebody over a series of days, uh, sometimes okay. over a month and I see them once. And then a couple of weeks later, I see them again. Or sometimes I see somebody for one day, then the following day. And then I call, and then two weeks later, I, you know, we get on the phone for an hour or something like that. But in that case, I remember thinking I, I had to make the most of an afternoon or whatever it was. And I think it was probably two to three hours. Like we got in the car. She gave me a ride home afterwards. Yeah. I parked on 12th Street and Fifth Avenue. And um, I remember that. That was a really funny part of the whole situation too. It was like, I'll give you a ride. You know, we hop in her limo and 
it created a whole nother scene and situation. I just reading it again, it's like the ending is so good. And that could so easily not have happened because you sometimes you say goodbye to somebody and you walk out the door and she was like, well, you want a ride? And I'm like, oh, okay. And then it ended up being like the best ending in the world, you know? Uh, yeah, you definitely made the most <laughs> of yeah. the, your yeah. settings and time. <laughs> so the other thing we were wondering, since you did that interview 10 years later with Vogue, with Drew, was there anything you noticed like as a changed in her between 1996 and 2006. You know, it's funny. I just read that piece too this morning for the first time in a long time. And it was exactly 10 years later. And I love that she said, I feel like we're renewing our vows. <laughs> yeah, yes. we love that too. <laughs> she was, and we had, so that was like a really long, crazy dinner where we got kind of got drunk and we smoked so many cigarettes. It was like so, <laughs> it was so decadent. But um, that same feeling, she did the same thing where she created a bubble and we lived inside of it for four hours. But the thing that I remember the most was, and by that point, you know, Jim and Nancy Javonin. Yes. Yep. And so Jim Javonin is married to Sarah Meikle. And Sarah Meikle is like, the, she was the fashion editor at Glamour. And so, and they were like, Jim and Nancy are really good friends with my current husband's best, one of his best friends, Josh Klausner. So it's like, by cool. that time, I knew people, I knew Nancy Javonin, like I, I really knew some of Drew's best friends. So it was the, one of the things that felt different was that she suddenly felt like a peer to me. Like she was, my husband's friends were really close to the Juvonans and therefore Drew was like, not, she was in a very different way, just one degree removed from my life. And so I would hear about her all the time. And I would, I feel like I was always arriving at a place where she'd just been, you know what I mean? Oh. And so <laughs> I saw her differently in that way. But the other thing that was, was distinct was she had accomplished the very thing that she said to me that she was setting out to do 10 years prior, which was to make Hollywood a better place and um, to make movies for the right reason. And all that had, had come true. And she had, the, she had the sheen of a person who had triumphed and uh, had gotten to where she was going. Like you, she was working out, she had gotten really thin and beautiful in a different way. She was statuesque suddenly, even though she's so tiny. And I just remember seeing her at the Vogue shoot while I was there at that whole Vogue shoot. And she just was so, there was, there was suddenly this glamour in her that was very different than the punky girl um, that, I, that I was like, she could wear those gowns and high heels and looked amazing, you know? Yes. And that, that kind of, when I was saying she contains these multitudes, I feel like there's part of her, like, she could tap into that hippie girl. She can tap into that punk thing like and on her show like she interviews certain subjects and she'll be like oh yeah like I was at all these shows in the 90s and suddenly you're like oh yeah that's that's true that's the same girl yeah <laughs> like it's like the idea of like I heard the song I'm every woman this morning which I, I never it never fails to give, to give a rise and you know, give me a, a lift um and so the one of the many things that she added to her multitudes was a truly glamorous red carpet person uh, yes, an executive and control a boss like she was she was all those other things but then these these new things and that's what I noticed oh, that's so... still wanting to drink and smoke cigarettes and like <laughs> laugh and talk and cough <laughs> that's wonderful uh, that's really uh, you definitely have a wonderful way of describing it. it's so beautiful to hear what you have to say totally <laughs> it seems like you guys are definitely overdue for another vow renewal <laughs> I know. Funny. sometimes I think I'm I'm gonna miss out on uh these amazing so like you know over the years I've there was a period there in the 2000s when I'd written like four four cover stories on Jennifer Aniston so like 
every year and a half or so, like we would get together. It was like really fun to like do more than one profile of certain people. Like I think I wrote about Charlize Theron three times and I did three profiles of Angelina Jolie and you know Reese Witherspoon. So it's like, I really got to get to know some of these women because of Vogue putting them on the cover several times and they would often ask me to do it, you know? Um, and I'll, I'll miss that. I'll miss that sort of like that re that that reunion thing that happened every time. Yeah, and I I, I I imagine that you get deeper, a little bit deeper each time, right? Because you've developed, even if it is a professional relationship, depending on how vulnerable they're willing to be, there's like an openness that can expand if you've been able to. And I'm sure that was purposeful on the yeah. parts of the editors giving you those jobs. Like, that's incredible. There's a sort of a, you know, you've already established trust. You don't have to clear your throat and get to know each other. And you don't have to ask any of the questions. You're done with all of that stuff. Like you don't have to ask a whole bunch of questions that kind of can get in the way. You can literally just focus on the now, get right to it, you know what I mean? Um, yep. Yeah, it makes an interview more fun. And you also have more time to just like talk about, just have a conversation, you know what I mean? That's so wonderful. I just took a couple of notes that I just would throw out to you. One, I was really struck by, um, the Harvey Weinstein material in this piece. Yeah, we've been talking about that. <laughs> Early morning signs, lights blinking red. Because I always try to remember, when did I first know? When did I first think there was something terribly wrong with Harvey Weinstein? And here it is. Her saying Gwyneth Paltrow had the same deal and he made her play this movie so that she could get this movie and then he did the same thing to me. That was when I knew that there was something fucked up about that guy. Like, relating very young stars, beautiful women, to do something that they didn't want to do. That's the first time I knew that, but isn't that crazy? So in 1996, that motherfucker was up to this shit. <laughs> yeah, already. That really jumped out at me. Um, and then another thing that jumped out was that long riff on Melrose Place that I thought was so funny. <laughs> at the time, I know, I don't know if you guys, Melrose Place was the conversation. It was like everybody watched Melrose Place, even the people, even for people who was kind of beneath them, people, all of my friends had Melrose Place parties and like, <laughs> characters so I was just really struck by the fact that she was obsessed with Melrose Place just like every other idiot in America yeah you know? <laughs> and the other thing that jumped out was um in the list of stuff that I the, the 20 things that you, you might not know that when she says believes Alanis Morissette couldn't scare anybody <laughs> yeah we were we were laughing about that one too <laughs> but we're also wondering what do you remember what that was like in response to no, I remember, what I remember is that she was like the Taylor Swift of that moment. Everybody yes. had to have a take. Everybody in America had to have an opinion about Alanis Morissette and, and parsed the lyrics and figured out who it was about. It's exactly like Taylor Swift right now. This very day, looking at Twitter, I'm like, that's what Alanis Morissette was like for social media. You know? <laughs> oh, this is amazing, Jonathan. You shared like some really beautiful details with us. This is the stuff that we just gobble up. So. Excellent. I'm so happy I could help. Oh, we appreciate it so much. It's a lot of fun. And thank you for taking the time. This is for us to kind of be going into parts of Drew's, you know, world professionally and personally. It's like we're doing it completely out of love, you know, and there are details like this, like we feel like we know, but hearing like further anecdotal evidence just makes us love her more. So great. But I always say, um, other than the very beginning of my profiles, when I was still too young to understand what I was up to, I really like to like people. So I turn down a lot of shit because I don't think I'll like that person. It's so much fun to, if you're going to spend hours and hours and hours of your life, like transcribing and listening, <laughs> and thinking, you better like them. And so <laughs> yeah. I just don't write pieces about people that I don't like. And so yep. I, 
tell right away from the time you first, guys first reached out that this was a love project, which is why I said yes. So, uh, Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you again. Yeah. It was wonderful talking to you. Nice to meet you. Bye. Bye. Thanks again for your time. So we hope you guys enjoyed that little flashback, that fun look back <laughs> on a really neat article at a really cool time in Drew's career, post-Wild Child, pre-family lady. <laughs> so thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, I was going to say for this spooky episode, but it's not like the article is spooky. <laughs> it's just the pictures. So you got to go check out the pictures on howdoyoudrew.com. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and as always, we appreciate ratings, reviews, and subscriptions wherever you're mm -hmm. listening to this. Just go ahead and hit some buttons real quick. We would really appreciate it. And then come back and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at How Do You Drew Pod. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And and we'll be waiting for your listener mail at How Do You Drew Pod at gmail.com. Happy Halloween for real this time. Yeah. This is going to be. Is this our last episode before our Halloween, last or do we have another one? Episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and we will see you next Tuesday. Thank you. Bye bye. The How Do You Drew podcast is researched and produced by Ashley and Anne from thedrewseum.com. Our theme song is by our dear friend, Matt Costa, and we'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs>